Well, good morning. I think Sam is right. Um, there were few survivors, evidently, from the wedding yesterday. Um, it's, um, but it is great. It was uh, just a way to be able to serve the uh, Montana elder family. Um, many of you have come back out this morning, but it was quite a task, those who, who certainly served yesterday. It was a, a big ordeal, as it should be. And it was, and we know that God was blessed. Um, if you would, this morning, um, we're going to be coming from the book of Second Peter, chapter 3. So if you want to turn your Bibles to that, we're going to start in verse 10. I'm going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. Um, you get to do that when you don't preach much. You can do things different. I'm going to ask Matt... Come up here if he would, and um, I have prepped him on this, but he knows I didn't just out of the blue surprise him. I'm getting Matt to come up here and read um, verses 10 through 18 for us in order to um, get us um, started in the right direction this morning. Matt. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are, looking, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patient, patience means salvation, just as our, brother, our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes in the same way, all, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking... In them, as, in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in, in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him, be the glory now and forever. Amen. Thanks. So that's where we're coming from this morning. Um, I want to use Second Peter 3.11 as a springboard to where I, I want to settle at this morning. Um, you know, Second Peter 3.11 um, says, as Matt's just read to us, he says, since all these things... Or to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people are you to be in holy con- conduct and godliness? And that's the question Peter presents to this little church he was writing to. It's, a, it's a, certainly a question to our very day as we sit here this morning. What sort of people are we to be? You know, Peter's speaking here um, in chapter 3 of the ending of this world as we know it. Once again, verse 10 tells us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Verse 10 is just a repeat of what he says in verse 7. Peter repeats himself. Verse 7 says the earth and its works are going to burn. So he asks the question, since this is going to happen, what sort of people ought you to be? And I think all of us realize we as Christians um, should not get all tied up in of when this destruction is to take place. That's not ours to know. In fact, Jesus said that. It's not for us to know. Um, nevertheless, many people get tied up in this. Um, but this warning, I think, is presented to us um, of the destruction of the world. This warning is given to us to stir us up to become better Christians here and now. You know, P- Peter is connecting the destruction of this world to, to holy and godly living in the now. We must live each day as if it was our last act. You know, Peter starts off, um, he gives us here through verses 12 through 18, a summary of, of his answer to the, his own question. How should we live? He gives a summary, I believe, of how we as Christians ought to live. And I, I want to give them to you briefly this morning, but I do so briefly because it's the place I want to land this morning. But um, he, he starts off in verses 12 through 13, and in, 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 in basically Peter's saying he wants us to be in a constant expectation of always looking for Christ's return. You know, this, this term, looking for, you know, expresses an attitude of expectancy, um, an outlook, uh, a life that is watchfully waits for the Lord's arrival. We're not to be like, oh, well, somewhat like, I remember reading, you know, we've all read in Acts where the disciples, as Jesus was ascending, you know, um, angels showed up and said, you know, men, why are you gazing, intently gazing in the sky? And I think sometimes maybe we intently gaze for the Lord's coming when we have business to attend to here and here and now. So anyway, you know, he, he, he wants us to watchfully wait for the Lord's arrival. But we're not to be like the scoffers. Peter also mentioned in this um, chapter, um, uh, chapter three. Of um, how the scoffers had this question. He says, where is the promise of his coming? You know, things are the way they always have been for the last thousands of years. Is he coming? We know the answer to that. In verse 14, we find two. Peter, first off, says we're to be found in him in peace. Um, one thing this is, is a true peace. It's a true peace of mind. Um, knowing our sins are forgiven. And then there's a settled peace here also, sustained by what the Lord has planned, what the Lord has promised for us, for those who love him. But he also says we have to be diligent in this matter of peace also. Latter part of verse 14, he says we are to be blameless and spotless. And this is a call for holy living. We are to continually forsake sin and diligently pursue the means of grace. I think of that means of grace. Um, means of grace means prayer, worship, fellowship, scripture intake, taking of the sacraments. These are our means of grace. Verse 15, he starts off with, it means we still have time. It's not a time to be idle. It's a time to be at work. Um, he says we're not to grow idle. We're not to detach ourselves from society. We have spiritual responsibilities in the here and now. And then verses 15 
latter part of 15 and into 17, he talks about we're to be on our guard. We're not to be carried away. As Matt read to us this morning by lawless men, men of error. You know, we are not to allow ourselves to be deceived. We're not allowing ourselves to be carried away by false teaching. On the contrast, we are to be alert and discerning about what comes our way. We talked of that this morning just in Sunday school. Finally, verse 18, he calls for spiritual progress. We are to pursue a deeper understanding of the fullness of Christ's working of salvation and lordship in our lives. And then he ends, he ends his book with a call for continual praise. We are to worship and adore God. But where I want us to land at this morning, where we're going to kind of pinch our, pinch, pinch our tent, is going to be in verse 18, where it says, Grow in grace, but grow in the grace, but grow in the grace. Let me read these again to you, verses 17 and 18, because they go together. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, when Peter says, I don't want you to be carried away, he means I don't want you to fall from strength. I want you to stay strong. Peter, probably better than anybody, knows what it means to fall from strength, doesn't he? You know, some years earlier, um, he had denied knowing the Lord three times, as predicted. And Peter had no idea at the time how how, how easy it was to fall spiritually because he was so self-assured. What did he say? Even if all fall away, I will not. And how those words came back. You know, it's a warning for us also. Be careful where we boast. That's why it's so important to understand when when Peter says, I don't want you to fall from strength, but grow in grace. And and it's important to note that he, he he doesn't say, Don't fall from strength and grow in grace. He says, don't fall from strength, but grow in grace. And there's a difference. Those two little words mean a difference. And and, and what he means is the only way to avoid from falling in our Christian walk is to grow in grace. The only way not to fall in the Christian life is to advance. You know, Peter is saying um, Christian growth is an absolute necessity. Or we, or we will fall. We should see things spiritually happening in our life. I, you probably have heard of this story before. I recalled it as I was um, working on this. But um, a mother, after putting her child to bed one night, she was downstairs doing the dishes when she heard a loud crash coming from her son's bedroom upstairs. Naturally, she races up the steps and bursts into his room to find her son lying there on the floor. And after checking him, making sure he was okay, she said, Son, what happened? How did you fall out of the bed? Son, somewhat bewildered and still stunned, he says, Mom, I I don't know. I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. (laughs) So 
It's kind of an illustration of, you know, once once we're in, we we get we need to advance on or we will like this young boy fall out of bed. So don't fall from strength, but growing grace. And that is what scholars believe is the theme of Peter's book here. Um, also, it's probably the theme of the New Testament. You know, I think it's a summary of what the New Testament is trying to tell us. Don't fall from strength, but grow in grace. So what can we learn this morning from these three little words here? Grow in grace. Um, I have to acknowledge this morning um, in my studies of this, <clears throat> excuse me, I have um, relied on Pastor Timothy Keller a lot. Um, he, he, he wrote some commentary on this particular verse. Um, and he is the pastor of uh, the Redeemer's Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, New York. So I'm going to be using his, uh, some of his material here this morning. I'll be mixing it in um, with, with, with what I have. But I do want to acknowledge his expertise in this area. But he comes up with um, three points, and they're in your bulletin. You probably ought to read them, but um, let's go through them. There, you know, first off, growth in grace is possible. And he says growth in grace is gradual, and then growth in grace is gracious. So let's start. First, growth in grace is possible. So it's possible to do. You know, one thing we should do as Christians, we should relieve ourselves of this thought. Um, And that thought is the best I can get out of Christianity is um, my sins have been atoned for and I will be accepted, probably be accepted by God on the day I die. You know, and um, as Keller said, this is a little bit harsh and I wondered if I should repeat what he says. But he says probably um, there's too many Christians sitting in their pews clutching their um, born-again certificates. And I thought about that, and I said, wow. Kind of an indictment against us. Well, why should we, why should we be moving on? Why should we be advancing in God? Um, one reason is we'll fall, right? But, you know, this chapter, this verse 18 here in chapter 3, um, Peter, what Peter's writing here, he assumes what he wrote about in chapter 1, verse 4. And what he wrote about there is, he says, we are, as Christians, we are uh, partakers of the divine nature. We have something in us. You know, we, because of the grace of God... We have come to share some of the very same qualities, the very same essentials of God himself. You know, he is a God of grace. We are to be people of grace. So when Peter says growing grace, he assumes we already have his divine nature in us. In fact, the word grow means what? Growth is possible, right? You know, what it means to live the Christian life is we are to nurture, develop this new life. That it's been planted in us. You know, in order for something to grow, there has to be a germination, right? There has to be um, a, a commencement of a new life. There has to be a new birth. So, therefore, an, an, an admonition to grow spiritually actually means to take this new life that we have in us, this divine partake, partakers of the divine nature, and we are to nurture it. We are to nourish it. 
to bring up, to develop, to sustain it, this life within us. And you, we, I ask myself this question, you know, how, how, how do we do that? And we have at our disposal uh, just some of the things, you know, Bible study, fellowship, prayer, this meeting here this morning. Those things God has given us to use, to develop us, to nourish this. You know, and, and, and one thing here, the word, you know, grow in the Christian life is more than just um, filling our duties, doing our responsibilities, having these disciplines. All these things are good, but it's, you know, it's more than that. You know, to tell people to grow in grace is more than saying, I want you to be a decent person. I want you to be a good person. You know, the Bible never tells us to, to live a certain way without assuming that we've been born again. And there's a new nature, a divine nature in us. We can do this. You know, as we all understand, you know, in order to grow physically, we have to be born physically. And physically means larger, as we understand it physically. But if, you, if, if you're going to grow spiritually, what you have to be born spiritually. Just an adage that we all understand. But to grow spiritually, we grow from the inside out. We all understand we have to grow from the inside out. We have to grow from the heart out. Another thing about this divine nature that we have, that we are to nourish and develop and keep, this divine nature, as we understand it, it, it is from God and therefore it is all powerful. It's all holy. And it means a lot of times we... we we think, I can't do it, I can't do it, but we have to understand what, what's within us that makes us able to do this. And because of God's divine nature in us, we're able to absolutely eliminate, destroy or anything in us that's broken or needs healing. I thought of a question here for myself, and I won't, I'll pass it on to you too. You know, have, have I, have you learned to live with habits and patterns in your life that constantly drag you down? They constantly keep you from growing. Their intent is to keep you from growing. You know, have, we, have I, have you declared peace with certain things in our lives, wrong attitudes, maybe bitterness, maybe fear, bad habits? And once again, their purpose is to destroy us. You know, but because, once again, of God's nature, this divine nature in us, any place in us that needs fixing can get fixing. Anything broken can be fixed. Anything needing healing can be healed. I think at times we settle for too little. So growth in grace means growth is possible. And so this little word grow needs to challenge the complacent and stagnant in us. You know, growth and grace is the very essence of the gospel. Otherwise, um, you know, we're kind of left with a nicism or moralism instead of Christianity, instead of heart transformation. That's what we're looking for is heart transformation. We're not looking to be nicer people. That comes as part of it. But, you know, many people don't understand what Christianity is even about. Um, it's not about making somewhat nicer people nicer despite making people anybody nice or nasty new that's what it's about growth and grace is gradual point number two 
know, even though the word um, grow challenges the complacent in us, it also calms us and should comfort us. Um, simply because it tells us that Christian growth is not a bunch of leaps and bounds. It's gradual. And we are, I think we all recognize that our development, in, our development of the Christian character is not a result of a bunch of dynamic breakthroughs. I think at times we feel like we're advancing, then we take one step forward and what? Two steps back. We know that that's not, growth does not come in leaps and bounds, especially in the, as we know in the Christian life. You can actually measure growth, but it's very slight, it's very subtle, very gradual. You know, I thought of, D and I planted some um, rapid, two, actually two Bradford pear trees. I think they're Bradford pear trees, but anyway, anyway, um, last year in our backyard. You know, and before I planted them, I read the directions, you know, how big to dig the hole, how deep and all and round and how to how much water to put in it and fertilize it. And we did all of that. And I've kind of kept an eye on it and I've watched it. And, but for the life of me, I don't think they've grown an inch you know, last year. And um, it's frustrating. I should be seeing things. We should be seeing things happening here, but. It's not. And I thought also thought of, a, how about a young child, your six-year-old, your seven, your eight-year-old? You bring them in and stand them up by the door, and you put a little mark there on the door, and you bring them back two months later. Probably not much change, is it? It's not. But, you know, what, what this tells us is that we are very impatient people, um, especially here in the United States. We want it, and we want it now, whatever it is. We live in our little microwave world. You know, but one, one thing grace needs to help us know is we need to calm ourselves and be patient. How patient was God with us? You know, we make progress through all sorts of little subtle, imperceptible advances instead of dramatic increases. But saying all that, Peter does give us a way of measuring a measuring rod, as I have said, of sorts, back in chapter 1 again, of, of how, how, how we can weigh out how we're actually growing, whether we are actually growing or not. Let me read to you verses 5 through 8 of chapter 1. It says in verse 5, it says, Now for this re- very reason also, and when he says for this very reason, he's referring back to what we started with, chapter, you know, verse 4, excuse me. Because we are partakers of the divine nature, because of this reason, I want you to apply all diligence in your faith, supplying moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing. Could have done without putting that in it, couldn't he? They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Christians do not, should not stop pursuing growth in grace. You know, we need to go on. We need to advance. Um, we apply ourselves with diligence to increase in these things, as, as Peter writes. Um, we are to be dissatisfied with our present position. 
So, question, another question. I'll be asking questions this morning because I asked some of my own self. You know, am I increasingly growing in these areas? Am I growing in virtue? Am I more self-controlled than last year? Am I more knowledgeable about the character and nature of God than I was last year at this time? How about this one? Am I more loving? You know, is there in me an increasing desire to get near God? Is there a hunger? Is there an intimacy in me to get near God and know the things of God? Am I growing deeper? song we sang, Take Me Out on the Waters, this morning. Am I ready to go deeper with God? Remember, it, it takes time, it takes diligence and a willingness, and it takes patience to see ourselves grow. You know, but at the same time, we, you know, we have to question ourselves, am I growing spiritually? You know, I left off reading verse 9, and actually it's, a, it's actually an extra point here. And I'll give it to you as a bonus and won't charge you anything for it. But it said, you know, growth and grace is a necessity. This is necessary. Let me read verse 9 of chapter 1. For he who lacks these qualities, what we just read, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So it's not an option. You know, we need to possess these qualities and we possess them in increasing measure. They continue to grow in us. Final one and the most lengthy one this morning. I'm not going to let you off the hook. You're too quick. But um, growth in grace is gracious. Growth in grace is gracious. You know, so far this morning, we've been talking a lot about growth, right? But it doesn't just say grow. It says what? Grow in grace. Peter's looking. Peter's coming to a point here. You know, we have an energy, this force in us that is a free gift from God. And we know it as the dynamic, this power of grace that we have. Unmerited favor. You know, before I uh, undertook the task of studying this verse, first we went through this this book in, in Sunday school, and, and now for preparing this message, I always wondered, perhaps you have too, how, how can you grow in grace? Don't I already have all the grace that I will ever need? Can I get even more grace? Well, studying this, you know, the word grace can be used two ways in the Bible. Sometimes the word grace seems to be something that cannot increase. It's most time where I may be coming from. But sometimes it can be used as something that can increase. And I want us to kind of look at that for a few minutes. As we know it, the word grace always means God's unmerited favor. It means his undeserved love for us. You know, simply because of what Jesus has done for us, what he has done for us that we needed to do and couldn't do, we are accepted into God's presence because of the merits of Jesus Christ. No other reason. You know, Jesus lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. He took our punishment. And because he has filled all the righteous requirements that we needed to fill and couldn't, 
And when we put our trust, when we put our belief in him, God completely accepts us, both legally and personally. First, legally, you know, our sins, our sins are pardoned. And we've been declared justified in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. On the personal side, we have been adopted into his family. You know, we've become his children. Think of a verse in Romans where it says, Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. You know, but even though we were his enemies, we were strangers to God, we were foreigners, we were aliens, God accepted us into his family. He adopted us. We are now his sons and daughters. So the legal side of it is the pardon, and the personal side of it is the adoption. But they cannot increase, right? We cannot get any more pardon than we already are, and we cannot get any more adopted than we already are. You're either adopted or you're not. You're either pardoned or you're not. Thought about it as I was preparing this, I said, hmm. God is not like Facebook, then, is he? He cannot unfriend us, can he? Or will not unfriend us. I can talk about Facebook for a while, but I won't. Um, I thought God has Gracebook, not Facebook. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But anyway, that's that's the one part of it. Um, yes, we cannot get any more um, saved, pardoned, adopted than we already are. It's all the grace we'll need in that part. But there are places in the Bible, like the one we're studying this morning, where it says grow in grace. And it's one in Hebrews, too, and I'm sure there are others. I probably could have found them if I looked for them, where it says... And basically, in Hebrews, this is what Hebrews says, chapter 4. It says, you know, when we have a problem, we can go to the throne of grace, where we will find mercy and grace to help us to get more grace. So it seems to me there's abundance of grace there with God. When we need more, we can go to it and get it. I think here's the bottom line of the whole whole thing. Um, our actual standing can't increase. Our acceptance can't increase. It cannot increase. But the influence of the doctrine of grace in our lives can increase. And that's what the point is here that we're getting at. That actual influence of the doctrine of grace in our lives can increase. And that's where we need to be working. You know, it's grace and only grace that's going to lead to an actual change of character. In our lives. You know, growth and grace here again has to grow from the inside out. You know, growth and grace is by looking in my heart and watching to see whether I'm developing or not. Whether I'm developing more love for people, whether I'm developing more love for God. But there is a warning that comes with this because immediately. We we sometimes get in this. Well, I'm going I'm going to try harder. Um, mode. So you know, growing in grace is not about piling up a bunch of deeds and busyness. Busyness. 
Pastor Keller called it mechanical growth. And what he means by that is he used the illustration of a pile of rocks. He said, we got a pile of rocks here, and we come along and we add 10, 20, 30, 40 more pieces of rock to it. That, that pile of rocks has grown, hasn't it? It has. You know, we can get busy about a lot of things for the Lord and good things. And we can definitely throw into the pile lots and lots of things, lots of good deeds, lots of ministry, lots of uh, of things and so on. But we have to understand the reason why we are doing this. Is it because look at these things I have done for the Lord? I must be growing because I'm so busy. You know, as I was preparing this message, um, I um, thought of a biblical example that may help us in this a little bit. It helped me. Um, I think it helped illustrate the point of how we sometimes think that busyness means gain or growth in, the, in, in our Christian Transformation, the transformation of our heart. Um, you see, at times I, 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 we may come to realize that mechanical business um, can lead us toward a path of self-righteousness. You know, in the human heart, um, there's a default mode called self-salvation. It's there. You know, it's a covenant of works. And at times, we automatically go to our duties and our performances when we start measuring whether we're growing spiritually or not. That's not a good measure. But anyway, this is where the story of the prodigal comes in. Um, you all know the story. We've, I've preached on it before several times. And I can't believe all the points I've missed uh, second time, and I sit back and look at it again. And that's just God's word. But anyway, Jesus starts the story um, saying a man has two sons, um, and that's one of my problems. Was I, I I I knew he had two sons, but my main focus was on only one son. I hadn't been thinking about the older son as much as I should have. You know, most of our attention is drawn toward the younger. And I think when we do that, we miss an important lesson Jesus is trying to teach us. You know, one thing we must realize is both of these sons wanted the father's money. They just went about it in different ways. You know the story. You know, the younger son, he gets restless. He doesn't like the way things are going down on the farm. Um, and he says to his father, um, give me my share of the money. Give me my share of the inheritance. And so the father obliges and uh, gives the younger son his share of the inheritance. And then in a few days, uh, the younger son takes off. And after a period of time, loses it all. So here we have this Jewish boy living, eating, and dining with the pigs. And you can understand how low that is for a Jew. And then it says he comes to his senses. You know, he realizes how much better he was with his father. 
So he returns repentant. The father sees him coming from a long way off, has compassion on him and restores him. That's the younger son. What about the older brother, the older son? Well, this didn't sit well with him. You know, and I would always think, well, he's just jealous. You know, that's all he is. He's just jealous. But it goes way, way deeper than that. Um, You see, in the older son's mind and in his heart, he believed he had earned his right to the father's money. In his mind, in his heart, this is due me. Your money, your inheritance is due me. I am entitled to this. You owe me because all these years I've been working for you. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to get control of the father's money by obedience. He was trying to get some type of leverage on his father. You know, really, no, he wasn't working for his father. That wasn't the reason he was working. He was working for the father for his own self. For his own benefit. In other words, you owe me grace. Because all this work I've done for you, you owe me grace. I've earned it myself and I deserve it. Self-righteousness. So another question comes. Anytime we are doing, and this goes back to our warning. When we do something for the Lord, for whom and why am I doing this? Who are we? Am I the younger son finally repentant and asking only to be treated as one of the servants? Am I thinking I'm due something and you think I'm entitled to something? That's what the younger said. Treat me like one of the servants. You know, always in need of the Father's grace. Are we like the older son who says, you owe me. I've earned it. I've earned your care. I've earned your grace. But as we understand it, and, and, it's, and it's true, we as Christians are supposed to be busy about the Lord's work. It's how we honor him. But it's always, we always need to check the attitude. We always need to check the motive for why we're doing Or while we're doing what we're doing. Again, look at the heart and ask, because of these activities that I am involved in for the Lord, am I growing more in love for people and for God because of what I'm doing? Am I growing more in love for people and for God because of what I'm doing? Or am I building up my own self-esteem? Let me use another example, and I think this is a great example. And here again, this comes from Pastor Tim Keller, and it's a true experience that he went through. And I think it, I think it really helps to clear things up. Um, he tells a story of one year when he and his family were on vacation, and they had stopped at a fast food restaurant to eat. And as they were standing in line to, to get their order, they uh, noticed that the woman taking the order, the woman behind the counter, was messing up every order. She had. I mean, it was it was mayhem. He said. He says, "Well, when it, when, when their time came to to order, she what? She messed theirs up too, just as like she's done everybody else's." 
he, he said, even worse, you know, she'd become very defensive about this. And um, about the whole ordeal. And, you know, he, he himself said, you know, he was getting angrier and angrier by the moment. He said, until he, he noticed something about the woman behind the counter. And that was, she didn't speak English very well. And so the reason for all the confusion. He said, you see, he'd come to realize this lady is a foreigner. To the United States. She's an alien to the United States. She doesn't speak English very well. She's a new immigrant. Well, he said at that very moment, he remembered a Bible verse that he'd studied just that, that morning. And it was, it's found in the book of Leviticus where God says, and he tells Israelites this. He says, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were once aliens yourselves in Egypt, and I brought you out. There's two ways to handle that verse, isn't it? One way is what he calls the mechanical way, and it would go like this. Okay, God. All right. All right. All right. You say I'm to be kind to the immigrants, so I'm going to be kind. And I'll just stuff my anger, and I'll leave it there. Remember the older brother, obedience. We'll be obedient to your word. I'm going to do it. But I don't like it. That's not growth in grace. Second way is this. And as we see it, we understand it. The scripture just doesn't say to be kind to the immigrants. It says be kind to the immigrants because... You were once an alien yourself. I took you out of Egypt and I received you. We see the difference, don't we? And when we apply God's word that way, it causes us to think about our own selves, right? Yeah. You know, I was once an alien to God, but he adopted me. He took me into his family. You know, and when we, when we think of the grace given us, it begins to change our hearts. And it causes us to grow in grace. You know, the real results of growing in grace, it's, it's a real love. It's a real patience. It's a real kindness. It's a real behavioral change. That's growth in grace. You know, we can, we can grow in our duties, but it can be mechanical. We need to keep a watch. And that's not growing deeper within for the things of God. You know, as we do the disciplines of, of the Christian life, you know, like Bible study and prayer and fellowship, worship, sacraments, you know, we do not do so to collect up a pile of deeds. But what we're doing that for is to gradually tap into this, this grace within us, this this incredible new nature, this incredible divine nature. And we're to nurse that through this and watch it change us into the people of grace. You know, are, are, am I growing, are you growing like a pile of rocks or are we growing like a child into a mature adult? You know, and, and one, one thing, and I'm going to stop. Um, one more thing. And um, as I was reading through... Um, 
this chapter three. Um, and as I was looking back through this message, I, you know, I, I noticed mostly this morning I've been speaking to the believer. And we've talked about the divine nature. And if you don't have that divine nature, none, none of this is possible. None of this is possible. And so I think it would be wrong of me uh, to end here. So uh, I want to ask one more question this morning. Um, and Peter speaks of it. And I'll read that in just a minute. But on, on Judgment Day, who passes? Who passes on Judgment Day? Is it the good, the moral, the righteous, the religious, the righteous in their own sight? Is that it? You know, the good people that have the good record or the people who have never done what maybe you have done? Who probably never have fallen like you have fallen have much as you do well who passes who passes on judgment day second peter 3 9 the lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness but is patient towards you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance so is peter saying god is patient with you wanting everyone to get their lives together is that it is that what Peter's saying? Well, I want you to get your lives together. If that was what he was saying, we'd all be in trouble, right? Just what we've been talking about this morning, grace. That would not be fair, waiting for us to get our lives together. What does it say? You know, who passes on Judgment Day? Who doesn't perish? The answer, those who repent. What did Peter say? Any to perish will all come to repentance. That's who passes on judgment day, the ones who repent. The Bible says the those who will stand on, on, on judgment day are not the good ones, but the ones who knew they were not and admitted it. Admitted they were not good. You know, to put it another way, you know, it's, the, it's not the ones who have done the most. But it's the ones who realize that most has been done for them. You know, the gospel, as we clearly know, tells us we will not, we cannot stand on our own right, righteousness. We will not stand on our own merit. It was the younger son who understood grace, wasn't it? You know, it tells us, the gospel tells us we're not good enough. It's only because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. It's only because of Jesus Christ and his merits that we'll be able to stand on judgment day. If there is an unbeliever out there this morning, I ask you this question. Will you believe that today and repent? Let us grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.